Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm here with Brian Marshauser. He's the editor of Yorktown News and the Catuano Pro Times. We have Tom Walagorski, the editor of the Somers Record and North Salem News. And hopefully joining us a little bit later is Bob Dumas, the editor of Maypack News. I'm going to launch right into this. It is the day before Thanksgiving that we're recording this. When you listen to this, it'll be the week after Thanksgiving. You know, I definitely wish everyone a happy holiday season for sure. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, This starts, uh, this show uh, will uh, hit the airwaves around the beginning of Hanukkah. And I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving feast and everyone healthy this month and uh, into the new year. So, Brian, I'm going to launch with you. I know uh, you want to recap a little bit of the update of uh, some controversies going on in in your town. So if you want to get into that. Yeah, I know. Last time we talked about two weeks ago, we were discussing that Republican district leader who had said that racial slur directed at Councilman Vishnu Patel in Yorktown. Uh, Obviously, that Republican leader, to recap, resigned his post with the uh, Yorktown Republican Party, which the leadership of which also strongly condemned his comments. And since that time, the fallout continues. The town, I should say, cut ties with his organization, CCM of Westchester, which is a nonprofit organization that operated the Feast of San Gennaro every year in Yorktown. So that doesn't necessarily mean the Feast of San Gennaro is dead. You know, it's a very popular five-day festival that takes place in Yorktown every year. And town supervisor Matt Slater told me that he is open to partnering with somebody else who wants to take it on. But uh, as far as CCM Westchester is concerned, they're just not going to run it anymore. I would love to see Sharice get her last name. Jervis Hill. Jervis Hill. Uh, I would love to see her get involved with that. Yeah, she's excellent. She runs a lot of uh, events in Yorktown. I forget exactly where she lives. It's not Yorktown, but she does a lot of events with the Yorktown Chamber of Commerce. And um, yeah, she's great. Brian, I am looking at your dog in the background, or I did see him briefly. He is a very cute dog. So thank I'm you. So, definitely he's right there. If I angle down, yeah, he's behind me. He wants to leave the room. That's very um, but adorable. The door is closed, and I'm sitting at my chair. Um, <laughs> awesome, awesome. So right now, I'll quickly move over to the fact that this is holiday season, which also means it is event season. We just got a ton. I feel like every time I check my email, I have a new one in there waiting for me. I'm literally going to just read my calendar of assignments that I have to do for the next few weeks. Starting tomorrow morning, I will start my day off. And when I say tomorrow morning, it's Thanksgiving morning. I'm starting my day off. I'm going to be taking photos at the Turkey Trot, which is the annual 5K that takes place Thanksgiving morning. I competed in the first one way back when five years ago it was organized by Senator Murphy. It benefits uh, local food pantries. Uh, even though Senator Murphy's no longer in office, he still runs it every year. Um, and the food pantries still get their donations, which is great. The next year they had it. I signed up, did not run because it was zero degrees. And my wife forbid me from running in it because she wisely knew that I would get sick. Um <laughs> It did not take place last year because of COVID, but it's back this year, the Turkey Trot. So are you running cool. tomorrow? 
No, I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm going to do a nice long workout at home, but I'm not doing the turkey trot. Good. <laughs> I got to burn off those calories before dinner. Absolutely. <laughs> and and what, what other events are going on in, in, uh, in your town? In so yeah. Sunday, first day of Hanukkah, November 28th, which by, again, by the time people are listening to this will have already happened. I'm having a menorah lighting in uh, Yorktown that's organized by the Chabad of Yorktown. It's going to be at the Jack DeVito Veterans Memorial Field, which is where it, they have the public men- uh, menorah lighting every year. And for our Jewish listeners, it's Chabad. <laughs> yes, exactly. I Chabad. Am, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, it's funny because I don't want to get too sidetracked here because I can go on tangents forever because I'm a but. You know, Hanukkah, everyone spells it, but every different way. I always go by AP styles with the H and the, you know, I know they sent it to me, started with the CH too. And uh, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so menorah lighting is 4 p.m. in Yorktown on Sunday. There's no really point giving me the time because you guys can't go there. It has already happened. But later that night, I'm going to jump on over to Katona where they're having their menorah and Christmas tree lighting. And also that same day, around the same time, actually, Lewisboro is having its menorah and tree lighting. So I'm going to have to get someone to cover one of those two, either Katona or Lewisboro, but I'll probably be at a couple myself. And then the next weekend, you know, it's back with the candy cane runs. Those are fun. It's when the fire departments go around handing out candy canes. They stop at all these different neighborhoods and hand out candy canes. Santa comes by, people pose for photos. So I got a bunch of different fire departments in the towns I cover. I got Golden's Bridge, Vista, South Salem, Katona. You really do uh, a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, Katona yeah. Lewisboro is covered by uh, just a bunch of different fire departments. You know, they alone have Golden's Bridge, Vista. South Salem Fire Department, Katona Fire Department. Um, yeah, so on Saturday, December 4th is Vista. So I'm going to be there probably, or somebody will be there. But also that day, I'm really excited for the uh, York return of Yorktown's Holiday Electric Lights Parade, which is this cool thing they do every year. It's worth freezing your butt off outside to see. It's like Main Street, USA. You stand on Commerce Street in Yorktown and you watch all these floats come by and they design them. They really go all out in the way they design them. It could be private citizens from town departments or, or businesses. doesn't matter. You got an organization. If you're a person who wants to enter something, you can't afloat. People design them. They, you know, they do Grinch, Elf. They do Christmas Story. They, they theme them and they give out prizes for the winner. Yeah. Then they got a Katona Peppermint Parade at 11 a.m. that day, which is basically Santa parades down Katona Avenue and stuff like that. So, and then, sounds like there's a lot going on, Brian. I'm going to yeah. cut you short. You're going to get in trouble with your wife if, if you don't uh, end this podcast uh, in the next 30 <laughs> seconds. So, uh, Brian, I, I want to thank you for all the stuff you're covering and you're doing a great job. And next week, when I come back, I will bore you with overlay zones. That is something I wanted to get to, but didn't get a chance to in Yorktown. But I'll save that hot one for next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Happy holiday. Thanksgiving. So now Bob Dumas did join us. Bob, welcome. Hi. I'm going to jump over to Tom, though, uh, and then, then Bob, oh. you and I can talk. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, same thing. You know, a little little bit of everything happening in North Salem and Somers. Never any shortage of events. Um, not as exciting as the holiday events that Brian was just talking about, but just uh, something worth mentioning for uh, the people of North Salem. There is going to be a public hearing regarding the tentative budget. That's going to be on December 7th at 7.30 p.m. at Town Hall. All the details of this can be found in our latest issue, but the quick rundown of it is, is that the budget for this year for the town is $11.4 million, and that represents a 12% increase over the current budget, so a little bit more money to play with. Good news for everyone, though, is that the tax rate in town is actually decreasing by a little over 2%, so kind of good news for everybody. But, but, but this is also because I think people's valuations went up. Right, right. 
So just because people's tax rates went down, they might be paying more, especially if the budget goes up because somebody has to pay that bill. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. Trying, trying to find the silver lining for our, for yeah, our yeah. listeners here. Yeah. Just one other thing uh, to mention of note that um, this year's budget also incorporated a uh, 3% pay increase for town employees. But unfortunately, that seems like that was counteracted by the rising cost of health insurance. Mm. So uh, essentially, it's kind of like a push. So you get a three percent increase in your, uh, you know, in your pay, but you're also paying. I think they said that health insurance costs went up by a little over twelve percent this year, probably as a result of just COVID and just you know what a mess everything's been for the past year. So, you know, that was a little bit of a bummer. That you know something that uh, Supervisor Lucas mentioned. Actually, I, I gotta uh, send within Halston Media, Tom. I will be sending it out an email probably on Friday about our uh, health insurance, which is definitely going up also, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's across the board just after what happened with the past year and everything. I mean, it's, it's understandable, but... Except for the fact that that's one category that's just gone up and up and up every single year for the past like decade. And uh, at some point, something's got to give, I think. But I guess it's not in healthcare. But anyway, yeah, but sorry. As, as, you know, as, as somebody that's you know recently gone through, and I, you know, I'm sure Bob can probably relate to me on this year. It's I don't know uh, having health coverage is definitely something. Right, actually, right before I started with Halston Media, I had a hip replacement surgery. So, you know, health coverage, even if you have to pay for it, is definitely a nice thing to have. So, I, you know, I'm really not complaining about that. Yeah, I forgot about it's that. Come in handy. You're a young guy, Tom. So, uh... yeah, that's I, I really hit the genetic lottery on that one. But yeah, actually, it was uh, funny. Last week was my one year hip anniversary. So, yeah, okay. listen, I got to dance at my own wedding. It's a fun story to tell. <laughs> my dad's getting his second hip replaced on uh, Tuesday, this come uh, the 30th. I wish him well. I think it's going to change his life a lot. He's in his 70s and and I know uh, he's a otherwise, you know, a healthy individual. I know a hip replacement can definitely change a person's life and, you know. Oh, my quality of life was unbelievable. I mean, I was pretty miserable beforehand. Just, you know, I, I was uh, in pain when I was tying my shoes towards the Yeah, end, so. that stinks. Yeah, so no, you know, all's well that ends well. But um, sorry, you know, I went off the tangent there. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about hips. So no, actually, so I'm going to segue from the budget actually to something interesting, you know, kind of like the art scene in North Salem. So one of the um, budget line items that was actually kind of one of the big ticket items was they appropriated five hundred thousand dollars for um, repairs and renovations to the schoolhouse theater. And this is actually the saga of the schoolhouse theater, which was uh, acquired by the town of North Salem recently. That's a story that we've been following for a long time. It's kind of a long and winding road, but basically the schoolhouse theater is going to be used as a performance arts center. And it's also going to be used as a senior center. A lot of things for the community. You know, a lot of people are very excited about all the different possibilities is, that this opens up. Is it still going to be run by the organization that currently runs the schoolhouse theater? They're going to have a home there. Basically, it was up in the air for a little bit, but the town is going to own it and they're going to use it for, you know, senior center recreation activities. But the schoolhouse theater will also still have a home there. And they, I guess they have to pay rent to the town. Yeah, I think the logistics, because they uh, the town just closed on the building on Friday. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they're still working out. But that was one of the things was that, you know, they're going to have all these actors out in the cold. But nope, they, they worked it out. And that's, you know, it's kind of a win for everybody. That's good. That's very, very good. And yeah, just something that also came up. So like, while that is all getting sorted out and everything, the uh, Schoolhouse Theater is actually partnering up with the uh, Hammond Museum and Japanese Stroll Garden, which is another, you know, kind of cultural center in town. And they're going to be putting on a performance of a um, a play called Canticle. And that's going to be coming at the end of December. It's about St. Francis of Assisi, kind of like the story of his life and everything. But it's just nice that it's sort of like a collaboration between two of the big cultural centers in town. So the Schoolhouse Theater and Hammond Museum kind of join in forces at the end of December. So a lot more information about that in our next issue. 
And then uh, jumping over to Somers real quick, um, just to plug uh, holiday events also to pick you up back off of Brian. Uh, unfortunately, by the time our listeners hear this, the menorah lighting will have passed. That's going to be on the, the 28th. But um, Sunday, December 5th is going to be a big uh, outside the Elephant Hotel. You kind of like starting at, uh, I believe, three o'clock. They're going to have Santa and his elves. And then uh, five o'clock, they're going to have the town Christmas tree lighting. So uh, that's always a great community event. I know a lot of people come out for that. So everybody's very excited. And uh, last thing for Somers is, um, again, this will have happened, but we'll have plenty of coverage for, uh, you know, for our readers. Um, the uh, Tuskers football is one game away from the state championship, and they actually have kind of something historic happening on the road to that. So they'll be playing against the Rye Garnets on Friday night. And this is actually the first time that two teams from Section 1 have ever played each other in the state semifinals. They sort of changed the playoff schedule so that Somers defeated Rye in the section championship two weeks ago. But basically, rather than give teams a bye, they voted to allow the section runner-up to still basically get another chance at the tournament. Wow. So, yeah, so Somers is playing a team. That, and it was a very close game. It was a, it was a wild game. So, uh, Somers kind of won it on the last play. So this is a huge rematch and uh, you know trip to the state championships at the Carrier Dome on the line. So, And when would that be? Uh, that would be the uh, the following weekend, I believe, December 4th. Okay, wow, wow. So, yeah, like I said, big game, uh, a lot of history, a uh, big rivalry. I think they've played each other 11 times in the past 10 years, and it's uh, 6-5 Somers, but two very evenly matched teams. So everybody's, uh, you know, very excited for that. So we'll it's have- so wonderful that this is a great, you know, big sports year, especially after COVID kind of shut everything down last year. It's just nice to see uh, this happen in town of Somers. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a great sports community. Just the, you know, the response that our, you know, that all of our articles and everything just get online. It's a, it's great to see it's, you know, it's really exciting for the kids, the parents, the coaches, it's a, had a bunch of good stories to tell. So lots to be excited about around here. Great. I believe, and I, I don't think North Salem kind of heavily publicizes this. I believe on Christmas Eve, they do have some event going on. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of compiling all of the North Salem events and everything. So yep. that's uh, we'll, we'll definitely, as soon as we have all the information, 100%, we'll, uh, we'll make it available. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom. And um, Bob, I'm going to jump over to you. Okay. I got a whole list of stuff here. You know, last week we didn't have this, and that's when I had some of my juiciest stories that I didn't get a <laughs> chance to talk about. I would love if you could talk about the parent protest, because I actually think it's a fascinating story. Yeah, I'm going to talk, yeah, Operation Shoe Drop, and then I'll talk a little bit about um, the election commissioner as well, two of the biggest stories from last week. But yes, there was a protest held by people, parents in the Mayapak School District who don't, there is no vaccination mandate as of yet from Albany for public school districts, though many anticipate there could be. So these parents were kind of being proactive protesters and basically saying, if a mandate comes down and Mayapak does not defy it, that they will, rather than have their kids vaccinated, they will pull them out of school. So to symbolize that, all the protesters were asked to bring a pair of shoes to the protest. And the shoes were going to be set up outside the school as if they're walking away from the school. And each pair of shoes had a little note, a uh, personal note about their position. Uh, how, so how, they many, how many to, parents showed up to this? Do you know? I'm not exactly sure. It was more than I suspected. It, it was probably in the 20s. They started at the high school, which is where they wanted to do it. Uh, the campus there is the high school and the middle school together. They got kicked uh, out. Then they got kicked out because they're not allowed to do that. 
and the sheriff's deputies came and tossed them. So they brought it all down to Chamber Park on South Lake Boulevard, there by the fountain, and they reestablished there. It was our front page story. Uh, by the time this podcast hits, this issue will be out, but you'd see it on our front page story. You know, the people I talked to from it said they weren't anti-vaccination, they were anti-mandate, and they wanted me to make that decision. Uh, a distinction, yeah, yeah. You know, like one the woman who organized it, who asked to be re- remain anonymous because she feared that her son, who's in the high school, would be harassed if it got out that she was the one organizing. However, other people stepped up and were identified who took place in it. But the woman who organized it said that everybody in her family, all the adults were vaccinated. She's talked about how polio and chickenpox and all those sort of things are vaccinations that have been around for decades and are well tested and vetted. Is she, is she vaccinated by COVID? From COVID? Yes, she's okay. vaccinated, but she felt that for children, it was a whole different thing. And so anyway, it happened. I haven't heard any repercussions from it or any more rumblings about it since then. The school district has crickets chirping, you know. You know it, so that was our front page story. I will tell you, I, I anticipated back this past summer that this could be possibly the biggest news story of the year. If the mandate does come to fruition before the end of the year, I think it will be. If it comes into fruition in 2022, I think it would be among the biggest stories of our five towns that we cover. I will tell you, I'm vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. My daughter, 12-year-old daughter, is vaccinated. And this was after a conversation that we had with our pediatrician. We had another conversation with our pediatrician via telehealth. It was uh, earlier this week. We had a conversation and um, he kind of convinced us, you know, yeah, it's probably the right thing to do. And he said the risks of not getting it outweigh the risks of getting it. One thing he said, he pointed out, which I thought was interesting, was um, that his fear is that the virus is going to continue to mutate. You know, he said the Delta is worse for kids than the Alpha and Beta were. You know, so his fear is that after Delta, what comes next, I don't know what letter it is, but what comes next might be even more harmful towards kids. So, you know, he basically said... Epsilon. <laughs> I guess, yeah, Epsilon, I guess. But uh, I don't know if we're going to call it that. But um, that being said, I am very sympathetic to the parents who are reluctant. I have friends and whatnot who are very, very reluctant to get vaccinated themselves or expose their children to it. I have a lot of sympathy. I think that people who are really pushing the vaccines, I think that they have chosen the wrong methods to convince people. Let me put it that way. It's turned into one big political shit show, I think. And the last thing that we need is a political shit show. Um, So anyway, I'm going to go off my high horse, Bob, and I'll let you continue. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to express my opinion on it, but I will say this thing with Mayapak. It was held in Mayapak and started at the school and then said moved downtown. But as the woman who organized it, one point out that it wasn't just for the Mayapak school district, that it was for our school districts throughout Putnam County. So Brewster, Carmel, et cetera, all had shoes in the drop. And she said on the same evening, there were Operation Shoe Drops at dozens of other school districts all throughout the state. So, wow, okay, um, interesting. Very apparently interesting. it was a coordinated effort 
Okay, so that was the one story that it could be just chapter one, as Brett pointed out, in this saga as we move forward. And the other big story of the same week involved our Republican election commissioner, Tony Scanapieco, who um, the Putnam County Sheriff has written a letter to the uh, state attorney general asking for an investigation into him regarding the actual charge would be possession of a forged instrument and forgery in the allegation that Tony has claimed he has a degree from, and oh my God, the college just fell out of my head. Um, Somewhere in New York? uh, No, down south. And um, I'd have to call it up, but he has a bachelor's, a master's and a PhD. And they are claiming that the PhD is bogus because he has, you know, um, the diploma on his wall in his office and it's on his letterhead. And that this particular college does not offer PhDs. And they called the college and confirmed it. So they've recused themselves, the sheriff and the district attorney have both recused themselves. So they were turning to the uh, attorney general and asking her to step in and look into it. Is this illegal? LaSalle University. But is it illegal to, I mean, A, look, I mean, I don't want to say anyone's lied. That's not for us to, you know, as Fox News says, we report, you decide. So I don't want to say that Scanapieco lied. But if he did, in fact, lied, you know, is it illegal? Yes, it says a person uh, is guilty of third-degree criminal possession of a forged instrument if it is forged with the intent to defraud or deceive. Okay. And that he used official government letterhead with the alleged misleading information on it, and that would make him culpable. Okay, interesting. Um, It's kind of like stolen valor, you know, when a guy goes around saying he's a veteran and he's not, you know. Um, It reminds me of that a little bit. Now, of course, and I talked to Tony about it, and he's very colorful in this response. Uh, You know, a lot of it we couldn't print in the paper, but he just basically said it's a bunch of people out to bust his balls, you know, and... um, and that he welcomes any investigation. He has nothing to hide. And he discussed with me his bachelor's degree and his master's degree. He didn't bring up the doctorate, but he said he, you know, basically as far as the AG investigation, he was basically like, bring it on. They're not going to find anything. So, you know, the, the ball is in the AG's court now. They could start an investigation or just crumple it up and throw it in the waste paper basket. Now, now I have call- to say, the one loophole, I know uh, when Rush Limbaugh was alive, you know, God rest his soul. He was a great, great guy uh, to listen to. I, I have a feeling you disagree with me. Um, uh, can but- you hear my eyes rolling through the microphone? <laughs> Regardless of what you think, I will say that he inspired a lot of people, and I truly mean that. And he used to joke around about how, uh, you know, listening to his show, you would... If I remember correctly, he would say people would get a PhD in advanced conservative studies. So maybe that's where Skinapieko got his PhD from? Rush Limbaugh's No, show? it's LaSalle University. No, no, I know. But maybe uh, the PhD uh, came from, maybe he got his master's and his bachelor's from LaSalle and his PhD from Rush Limbaugh's advanced conservative uh, studies. You're, you're saying you really uh, have to look at the fine print on this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
he said where he got the other ones from. The Mercy College was one of them. I forget where the other one. He mentioned yeah. where he got a bachelor's from Mercy and the master's from Pace. Okay. So, um, you know, if you look at pictures of him on the wall in his office, you can see the diploma from LaSalle, the PhD. And they looked into it and LaSalle told them, we don't have PhD programs. So yeah. there was two LaSalle universities. And there was one used to be in Louisiana. It doesn't exist anymore because it was shut down because it was known as a diploma mill, you know, where you pay them X amount of dollars and boom, here's your diploma. You know, and they suspect that that's what that is all about, though. That's just... It's kind of like the honor society that I belonged to in, in, the, in college. I think it was like the key institute or something. It's basically like you pay a few hundred dollars and you get like... And you're like part of some honor society. It was like, yeah, those things. Well, you know, but let's keep in mind some background. So we just had a very contentious race for Putnam County Sheriff. Robert Langley, the current sheriff and incumbent, is a Democrat. And the Republicans ran a very hardcore race, uh, played a lot of dirty pool. They slung a lot of mud at him and it paid off and they won. You know, so this is a lame duck Democratic sheriff who is filing this with the AG against the Republican election commissioner, who is also, by the way, the chairman of the county Republican committee. Yeah. So take that for what it's worth, too. So that should be interesting to see how and if that plays out at all. I, so I also think it's weird that and I don't know if Westchester is like this or, you know, I don't know if this is throughout New York State. But it's weird that to be the head of the Republican Party, and when you think about it, the party, each party, it's a private organization. It's weird that that confers on them, I don't know if confers the right word, but confers on them the um, status of being a government official also with the election commission. I just think that's a little, it's a little odd. Well, there has been some grumbling about the fact that he is both those things and that it could be a conflict of interest and that he is uh, the Republican uh, election commissioner and also uh, chairman of the Republican Party, you know, where he has to endorse candidates and help with campaigns and is a consultant and that sort of thing. And then he's also in charge of the election, you know. So, is the head um, of the Democrat Party also the Democrat? election commissioner no 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 two different yeah, people I, I could sort of see that how that's a conflict of interest without a doubt because when you're a government entity also you i mean ultimately i mean I, again i still think it's I, don't, I don't know if there's any law or anything like ordinance that prohibits that or not i mean if there was you think there would have been something done about it a long time ago or if it's just people who believe that it should be you know but yeah, I've seen postings on social media of people grumbling about that and claiming, you know, a plethora of different ways how that could prove to be a conflict of interest. And they painted some scenarios where it could be problematic. So anyway, those are my two big stories from last week that I didn't get a chance to talk about on the podcast. Now I'll move forward and we have, you know, with this being holiday week, you know, the, the schools and, um, you know, school board, the town board are pretty much dormant right now. But we had uh, a, a wonderful thing that happened yesterday here in Mayapak. Um, everybody knows uh, who Howie Bierski was. Uh, he was um, 
uh, developmentally disabled gentleman who came to us through ARC, the Putnam County ARC, which is a commit organization, ARC, that provides jobs for developmentally uh, disabled folks. And uh, Howard's job was to clean the downtown business district. He was always out there with his shovel and his broom, picking up litter, sweeping sidewalks. And he'd been doing it for 20 years. He was known for his friendly greetings and waving to everybody as they drove by. He was kind of an icon there. Everybody loved how he passed away, sadly. He was in his early 50s uh, back in September. And so the town wanted to do something for him and his family. And they had this beautiful bench designed and crafted and installed in the area of Chamber Park. And the way they have the bench position was chosen specifically uh, so when somebody sits on it, they get the view that Howie would have had looking into the business district. His sister and his mother and cousins were all there. There was like over 50 people attended the dedication of this bench that was led by Ken Schmidt, Supervisor Ken Schmidt, who kind of chaired the whole thing. There was a lot of people had a hand in it. And I interviewed Howie's sister, who um, said the family was just blown away. They couldn't believe how many friends Howie had gotten through this. And they all like to point out that no matter what the weather, whether it was five below zero and snowing out or 90 degrees and muggy on August day, Howie was always out there with the same smile, sweeping away, doing his job. A lot of the people in the business district took them under his wing. They would bring them inside into the air conditioning or into the heat if it was cold out and gave them hot chocolate. So he's kind of a Mayapak icon that is no longer with us, but there's a beautiful bench now, which, by the way, everybody knows that downtown is about to go into a major renovation and the bench is going to fit perfectly into the plans that they have with Swan Cove and the downtown renaissance. So that's going to work out real good. So we got lots of pictures of that. We'll have a nice article about Howie and the interviews I, I did with Supervisor Schmidt and his sister Eileen. Another interesting thing that's happening in the school is um, they had their first concert live performance in over like was it like 16 months since since uh, february of last year you know post-pandemic so to speak uh their fall concert was held a week ago which used to be a big deal and so it wasn't a full auditorium only two uh, tickets were issued per family but it was a big deal. It was a milestone for the school, and everybody was excited to go out and see live music. Some of these kids, it was their first time performing before a live audience because by the time they joined the band and were old enough to, there weren't any live concerts going on at the time. So it was um, a cornerstone for a lot of these kids that they got to play music before a live audience. I know the teachers, the music teachers were thrilled and we got a lot of pictures of that and we'll have an article on that as well. I will um, tell you, I don't, I have a seven-year-old son. I don't think he has a memory of going to school without a mask. You know, it's, it's <laughs> you got, a, got a good point there. It's really kind of crazy. You know, the, it's very crazy. 
It's kind of funny you see these pictures of these kids playing their horns and whatnot. They're wearing the mask, but they're having them down around the chin so they can blow into their instrument. Yeah. And it's just so weird and surreal, you know, seeing that. And then as soon as they're done with the song, boom, pop, up goes the mask again. So, you know, let's see. And, and um, you know, Brian talked quite a bit about Christmas stuff, holiday stuff coming up. And we'll have that too this weekend. Of course, it already happened by the time this hits the airways. But in Sycamore Park this weekend, the Chamber of Commerce is sponsoring their annual holiday in the park with um, Santa Claus. It's different than in years gone by where it used to be. It's going to be just like they did last year. They didn't cancel it last year, but it's going to be a photocopy of what they did last year and that it's moved from Chamber Park to Sycamore Park, you have to go online and register in order to be able to attend and people get in cars and there's a a parade and Santa is there, but he's in a giant bubble like a snow globe. And organizers told me this year, what is different this year is that if they want Santa to to come out of his globe and greet the kids, they'll allow that to happen, but that's up to the family. So, you know, Santa will be there, there'll be hot chocolate and cookies and so on and so forth get goodie bags for the kids and you know we'll have a big photo spread of that as well and then the next day out in the hamlet of carmel where they have their big event with the lighting of the trees along glenida avenues that's not till december but on sunday is the menorah lighting that supervisor schmidt takes part in and so we'll have uh, a photographer there for that so that we can cover uh, the big menorah lighting in Carmel. Hey, Bob, so a quick question for you also. Is the town, well, not the town, but just, you know, I guess private entities in general, is there any kind of send-off that people are doing for Ken Schmidt? You know, I know he's, you know, look, he lost the election, but I also know he's really, I think he's relatively well-liked in, in the town. I mean, I haven't heard nobody's such a good question. I haven't. I already told him that I wouldn't want to sit down with him sometime in late December and have a little Q&A. And he was supervisor for 14 years, longest running supervisor in the history of the town of Carmel, according to historians. And he has not let up after the election. He is just, you know, out there in the community. And I really do think that Sometimes with just people in general and politicians in general, you kind of question their sincerity. But, yeah. you know, I, I think I think Ken- yeah, I agree with you. He could have curled up and just gone away this last you know six weeks. And well, he hasn't just yet. Yeah, he hasn't. He's been yeah. highly active like he was yesterday at the Howie Bench dedication. And, you know, he's been actively involved in promoting the uh, the upcoming event for the master plan of. Uh, public meeting on the master plan on November 30th. He'll be there for that and a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, um, he's been very visible. I'm just looking here and I, his picture is everywhere. And so, you're, yeah, you're right. I haven't heard of anything, uh, you know, like a party for him, but that, that's a good question. We will do a, a farewell uh, Supervisor Schmidt article where we'll have him reflect back on his 14 years he navigated the town through some difficult times when, especially in 2008, when the recession hit and they were having to bust the tax cap left and right just because they basically had no choice. And he got through that. And, you know, and we talked about it kind of informally the other day about how he's his uh, 
his tenure has been a roller coaster ride of both up and down controversy with the police department and um, all kinds of different things. So we're going to have a sit down Q&A that we probably will run as our last issue of uh, 2021. I, I think um, it's going to be a fantastic article. I look forward to reading that. Yeah, well, that would be cool. doing the same thing for uh, for Rick Morrissey and Somers. Kind of a, and also kind of a similar thing. I was thinking that uh, he actually told me that he intends to be working until 11:59 p.m. the you know when his tenure is up there. But same thing, very visible in the community. Like I mean, you know, granted he didn't you know lose the election, he just decided not to run, but yeah, I kind of respect that that you're you know trying to finish strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy as well and uh both those individuals are definitely uh well, do you hear yeah. joking around that he's going to sit in the audience at board meetings and heckle everybody? So. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think he'll still he'll still be involved one way or another. I'd love to see Ken do that. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what Ken does next, what's in the next chapter of his life, and we'll discuss that in our interview. You know, you know, he's still a young man. You know, he had bypass surgery last year. He lost a lot of weight. Surgery. Lost a lot of weight. Yeah, he lost a lot of weight. He had, like me, he had bypass surgery, but his was much more radical than mine was. And he had like a triple bypass, you know, where they had to crack open the chest. And he calls it being a member of the zipper club because you have that scar down the front of your chest. Now it looks like a zipper because he sent me a text once saying, welcome to the zipper club. But I had to tell him, you know, I'm not technically a member. I don't have, I have a much smaller scar. But he's bounced back from that. He's still a relatively young man. And I know he wants to continue public service in some way. So it'll be interesting to see what is next in store from him, whether he's going to run for something or try to be appointed to something. We'll, we'll see, you know. It'd be interesting uh, to see if, I, you ever, if you ever ran for sheriff. Yeah, well, that would, uh, we'll see what happens with McConville. You know, he's the Republican darling right yeah. now. Yeah. So we'll see what kind of job he does. So sorry, the big news, Bob, you mentioned, sorry if you were about mm-hmm. to, is uh, Kevin Burns. Uh, yeah, well, that was a couple weeks ago. Um, we haven't from, mentioned uh, the podcast, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, Kevin, um, may have packed native son, who has been uh, assemblyman for eight or nine years now. And uh, he announced a couple weeks ago that he does not intend to seek re-election to that post, but instead will throw his hat into the ring to run for Putnam County Executive. Marion Aldell is about to term out. There's term limits for Putnam County Executive, so she won't be allowed to run next November. Well, Kevin hasn't got the official endorsement from the GOP committee yet. I think it's a fait accompli. He's well-liked and well-known. I don't know if any other Republican would dare to primary him or not. I think, and I'm sure a lot of people share this opinion, if they were to, if the Democrats were to put up somebody against him, I think it would be one of uh, a great underdog. So, you know, Kevin has made the, he's already started campaigning. You know, I get emails all the time. And so, yeah, Kevin wants to be closer to home. He's got a little baby and he wants to start doing stuff locally that he thinks can help. You know, I have a little beef with him. I'm going to announce this on the podcast and I'm actually going to message him. But um, Mm. on his Facebook page, he thanked the examiner for the front page article they gave him. Didn't say a word about Ah. us. Oh my goodness! Maybe they came out earlier than we. They do publish earlier than we do, so maybe he just hadn't gotten to it yet. So 
I'm writing him. My APAC News also had a front page article with a sad emoji. Um, oh, you're giving him the sad emoji that, that shows you. <laughs> oh no! So I don't know if I thought he did put something on there about that article, but maybe not. You know, reach out to him because I just did. I just yeah, sent yeah. him. I just I ran it in Somers. Like yeah. Yeah. And I broke it. I, I mean, I broke it. They might have beat us in print, but I broke it on tap into, you know, so, yeah. it, you know, within hours after he sent us the announcement, you know, yeah. I called him up and talked to him and, uh, yeah. and then broke it on tap into. Oh, I just gave him day. problems. I just gave him problems on Facebook. Well, privately, <laughs> privately. Although, of course, publicly yeah. now, because everybody who's listening to this podcast is hearing it. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he responds. Is he responding? Uh, I, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. So just one last thing, and then I'll let everybody go because my nurse is coming. Um, a longtime Minneapolis resident, John Burgess, uh, B-O-U-R-G-A-S, who is well known for his work with Tavet program, the counseling program for veterans that here in Putnam County, and he was an Afghan vet, and he is a former nurse and a former New York City police officer, he has a very eclectic life, was just inducted. And this is, a, this is a hard thing to get into. He was inducted into the New York State Veterans Hall of Fame. Okay. And Senator Pete Harkin held a big uh, ceremony, and all the Putnam County folks were there for that. In 2017, he was inducted into the um, 40th Senate District Hall of Fame, but that was just the small 40th District that Terrence Murphy was senator of at that point in time. This is the whole state, and I was talking to Senator Harkham's office and said, it's not easy to get into this, and uh, John was able to do it. He's a really humble guy. He doesn't like a lot of the spotlight and a lot of the credit, but if you read the article and look at his resume, it'll blow your mind. Like I, when I wrote the article about him in 2017, I said, John Burgess has lived his life out loud. It's a good way to describe what he's done. So we'll have a nice article about John's induction into the New York State Veterans Hall of Fame. Awesome. I look forward to reading that as well. <laughs> Gentlemen, I, I wish both of you a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you were Thank you, guys. We'll be in touch later in the week. Sounds, Sounds good. Great. Right, Thank you. Have a good holiday. Right, uh, Thanks. Safe. You as well.